got it. <laughs> hey, everybody. Um, we have got John on the line uh, the day before his new album, Additional Kids, is coming out. And uh, me and Max uh, just wanted to have a conversation with him um, kind of about the album and the making of the album um, just to kind of get some things out in the open. So (laughs) (laughs) we're going to get going and just kind of just do a little interview zone here for the first time on the House You Mountain YouTube channel. So here we go. Um, I guess the first thing we wanted to talk about with you, John, is can you just kind of talk about the wobbly project origins and sort of like early times for your music, like musical practices. Um, Max can go on from there. Yeah. I mean, I would say that what we know is like the early formative wobbly music is more on the kind of like experimental, like break core, crazy electronic, like beat type world. In addition to like, of course, like plunderfying stuff and all that. So I guess I'm wondering, like, what, you know, what, like, kind of stuff you were working with back then, or, like, what ideas or what, like, tenets were guiding you in that era? Well, um, ah, that's, that's, I mean, there was also, there was also, like, this period in the 90s when uh, I had uh, a radio show down in Santa Barbara, and that stuff was far more just industrial drone music, sort of. Uh, wobbly wasn't exactly what I would have called myself back then. It was a group and it was sort of a flexible group of, uh, whoever showed up to the radio studio, but, uh, you know, Jason Brown, Chris Ball, they're on, oh, hang on. <laughs> Audio hijack. Industrial drone, baby. <laughs> um, I mean, there was, uh, there were different, there are different stages uh, before, uh, you know, late nineties when all of a sudden digital editors showed up and I started, um, uh, there was an album called Wild Y, there was sort of an IDM period. Um, I mean, I, I've always had trouble writing a press release because I, I, I want to sound like everything which is one of the reasons why collage was one of the only things that would do as sort of a, um, uh, an overview. And, um, certainly the early, one of the most important things that happened was my youthful discovery of, um, negative lands radio show over the edge, mm-hmm. because that was when the light bulb went off. And I realized that live electronic music could help itself to pre-recordings that when you, um, played more than two uh, to 10 things at once, that counted as live music too. Um, so, but there was always pop music as well. Like the, some of the earliest, I mean, I recorded things in high school and that stuff tried to sound like, uh, I tried to write tunes. I just wasn't very good at it yet. So, um, there's no real one helpful overview, which is why my press releases have always been useless, uh, in to help anybody try to understand what the overall story is, because I'm not sure what it is. But you were talking about the onset of like digital editing or like, you know, like DAW, like software essentially, right? As like a big moment or? That was a huge moment. Uh, up until then, I was using cassettes and radio studios and improvising um, uh, on the air. Um, 
I joined Negative Land in, the, in their studio. Like I met them very young and started uh, hanging out. So the framework through which I saw everything was the radio studio. That was the performance studio, but that wasn't very portable. Um, in 98, I finally got my first adult job at this company called Orban that made FM radio compressors. And one of their products and the one that I started working on full time was this product, this pro uh, product called the Odyssey, which was a truly unbelievable um, DAW with a built in console. And this it was designed before hard drives could hard drives could read audio uh, fast enough to play back more than four tracks at once. So their yeah. hardware solution was to um, build in 512 megabytes of RAM all of the audio would be loaded into ram and read off in uh, real time they it didn't use hard drives uh all of the audio was instantaneously accessible and so that thing um it was a real hot rod it sounded like liquid especially the scrub wheel uh so uh, a lot of people sometimes ask me how did you get those sounds on wild Y, especially the scratching sounds that was the odyssey yeah. Um, we're getting deep into the weed, the weeds, but my next job love after that was we love the weeds. Is, yeah, yeah, the, the weeds are fun. It's about the the tech to a large degree when you're talking about electronic music. Uh, my job after Orban was um, ten years at Digit Design, so I tested Pro Tools for five years, and then I moved on to um, the Venue Live Sound uh, Mixer, which was one of the first digital consoles for live mixing with built-in DSP and uh and that thing was a hot rod that thing was a uh all of the advantages of plug-in mixing but freed from the idea of the timeline it passed audio like a real mixer instead of a controller can you explain what dsp is real quick digital signal processing yeah yeah something that's <laughs> close to your heart I would, I would imagine yeah yeah you gotta you gotta know what it is gotta know what it is and uh, one of the main things under uh, one of the main prerogatives of music is that uh, really does have to be live. Sometimes the mistake we make when we're surrounded by recordings is mistaking the recording for the piece. Uh, it doesn't really become music until uh, you have, well, until you're hearing it. And the equipment that lets you mix and transform it and manipulate it easily, that's that's what makes a good instrument. So DSP, digital signal processing, it's usually in real time, uh, things that let you manipulate and uh, put sounds together in real time. Those are, that's where the instruments are. That's, uh, that's where you find the good stuff. Yeah, and I would say that your, your assertion or your you know, idea that the liveness is essential and like the, the in the moment, like getting gear that leaves you to be able to make those decisions in the moment is like very much in tune with like our, our labels whole mentality. Right, Doug? I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, totally. in of, yeah. In terms of what, what, what we highlight is often live takes often no overdubs often, you know, especially earlier in the label catalog, so much like completely live, no overdubs. Like that was almost on every single liner note. And you were also talking about, um, artists that can't that have uh no like ability to have press releases and that's definitely what we specialize <laughs> yeah. in. Um, yeah. I, I guess like with within all these early projects and the the jobs that you mentioned and like these sort of like 
your sort of changes from like making music in the radio studio to being able to make music at home to working on incredibly professional software and hardware from the back end. When did the beginning of additional kids like begin to germinate? And like, how did this project, which kind of ran for decades, sort of integrate into like into this era of your life? Uh, well, you guys were trying to figure out in the press release how to, uh, you know, I was sort of underlining this record began in 1999. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to talk about it without giving the impression that it's a compilation because it spans so many eras. But um, I think the key is that I love, uh, I have a habit partially because I spent 98 through 2016 with uh, full-time corporate work. Mm. Um, there was no time to finish records. So I would always start something, get it to 95%. And, uh, but the last 5% usually takes 50% of the time. Yeah. Usually contiguous blocks of time. And that just would never come up when you only had three weeks off a year. Um, well, additional kids, Often I'd be improvising or doing abstract music or shows with friends of mine. And then at the end of one of those projects, we'd do a song or something would happen that was song-like and we'd sort of record it to blow off steam, you know, like we'd be making the weird music, we'd be making the flow. And then we'd take a crack uh, at something with lyrics just to sort of relax. But those would never get finished. And the rules for pop music are a lot more stringent like these aren't really songs with verses and choruses or anything, but you, you go into that realm and all of these invisible rules for what the drums are supposed to sound like, where the lyrics go, how the vocals sit in the mix. There are expectations with that, that if you begin to sort of get into that realm, then uh, all of a sudden it stops sounding like uh, interesting experimental music. And it sounds like somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. For sure. So none of these songs ever got finished. Mm. They uh, they sat there, and also different vocalists. None of them ever belonged to one album. You know, like they were all just sort of uh, experiments. Mm. Uh, most of the lyrics are written by the people who were singing, and so uh, I certainly never thought of them as an album. And most of the things on this album were sort of uh, ninety nine to two thousand eight about. Okay. Uh, and then around like 2015, 2016, I put them all together in the same folder. And that's the first time it occurred to me that almost all the lyrics touched on being a kid or having kids. And it made sense. Like most of my friends at that time, we were in our mid twenties to early thirties. And that's around when you begin to notice. <laughs> yeah. or you're uh you're having those uh you know you're just sort of measuring yourself against the normative arc of uh progress in uh adulting and uh wondering where you fit in it um around 2016 i was working for dolby labs i was working on this uh spatial sound format called atmos uh and there was a moment of truth and uh, I left to go on tour. I quit the job. Um, and around that time, uh, that was around when I had sized it up onto a folder 
I had asked a couple of friends to do a couple of new songs. And sure enough, without even asking them, those songs were about kids. Wow. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, but we'd gone through the bottleneck. We'd gone through the wormhole and I re and, uh, several of my friends who had written those lyrics had already had kids. And by this point, um, well, let me tell you, having I, I would have never picked Wobbly as like a pseudonym going in. But one thing about having the name Wobbly is that you are instantly the best babysitter in the world. Like all of my friends that had kids, uh, if they know that your name was Wobbly, they like you. Uh, and so, um, in terms of like a child wobbling around, like toddling, is that what you're like? Well, they just to can't or? believe you're called Wobbly. It's like, it's like <laughs> uncle ever immediately. Like it's like it's like you're basically Uncle Sesame Street immediately. Yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. When is Wobbly coming over again? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I love <laughs> my friends' kids. My friends' kids are uh, well, you know, they are pure life. Like I never managed the trick myself, but boy, are kids important. So. Yeah. It was around 2017, 2018, where I had it in my mind that all of a sudden, all of these unbelie unfinished orphan tracks were not orphans. And, uh, and then lockdown happened. And without getting into the thick of it, because this isn't exactly an autobiographical record, it's, it's because there are too many people singing about their own scene right. on it. Yeah. But, but let's just say that lockdown is when we really began thinking about um, a future in which our children can be safe. And that's when the record suddenly got finished. Uh, and at that point, I had sort of learned a lot more about how to mix, um, how to do things like mix drums and mix vocals. Mm -hmm. uh, during lockdown, Thurston Moore asked me to take a crack at mixing some of the songs for this record that we'd be re recorded together called By the Fire. And I, I spent a lot of time just listening to Led Zeppelin and like just trying to wrap my ears around what things like drums are supposed to sound like. None of those mixes ended up on his record. But by the time I went through, uh, after listening to uh, those mixes and 1970s mixing styles, uh, I think I had figured out a little bit more about how to uh, mix my own pop music without compromising. Yeah, and like you talking about Led Zeppelin as a touchstone also ties into your your discussion about the quote unquote rules of pop music. You know, I mean, like of course we consider Led Zeppelin to be whatever hard rock or whatever, but it is it is pop music. Oh, it's pop. It's yeah. pop. Oh my god! It's so, yeah. yeah. I'm Classic. curious about I'm curious about like maybe the the like intricacies of what in your mind or in your mind versus society's mind like makes up like a pop song i mean like you mentioned there there aren't many verses or choruses a lot of the songs kind of have like a a more dynamic like linear flow like kind of like up through different parts i feel like right in terms of i mean there are songs with choruses of course but i feel like in additional kids there's a lot of like more progressive almost like pop structures if that makes sense you know i mean i, I don't know if i'm if i'm yeah i don't think it's a pop i don't think it's a pop record i think right, like yeah. it sounds like one. it begins to sound like one for a couple seconds at a time but then it does something so right. i don't think it's, i don't think it's i don't think it's going to succeed or anything i don't think it i don't think anybody's going to be confused or it has already finish. succeeded success yeah. has been achieved don't worry yeah, yeah. right 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 well i mean but, you know, this, this, oh sorry you go on okay. 
I said they succeeded in this magnificent way in that like if you talk to every musician, they have like a hundred things that are really interesting that were never finished. And like for these things to like come across the finish line after like, you know, brewing and stewing for a long time, it's a, it's a huge success in <laughs> all. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. There's that. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty emotional. It really, it's, it, it actually, it's not autobiographical, but at the same time, it's personal enough that it didn't really feel like it should be out. I, I want to thank uh, Ryan Worsley, who directs the videos for Negative Land. She's the person who said, like, don't worry. Like, I was almost, I don't know what I was worried about, but she was like, don't worry. Nobody's going to get confused about this being a pop record. You should put it out precisely because it's just its own thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I owe her pretty big time for giving me the confidence. I trusted her opinion more than my own on this. And you guys, like when I gave it to you and you guys were uh, very uh, excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that brings us into this uh, question of like, you know, when when you uh, were talking about this album early to us in like emails, one of the things you said was the reason this music, the reason this music exists, is made of people. And you were kind of just going and talking about all these people you worked with and people that motivated you. And I think this just gives us a, a moment just um, maybe just to touch on talking about some of your collaborators on this album and maybe the um, making of a few select tracks. Sure. Well, uh, apart, there are two people that are not inner circle on this record. Like there are only two of the, the people are more epistolary or like that I've only met once. Uh, everybody else is pretty inner circle and uh, have backstories or relations to kids or whatever, so that they're in a way where their presence on this album is, uh, you know, it's their own story. So uh, to talk about one of the people that I don't know that well, like uh, the opening track, uh, Not Home, that um that is the earliest track that one the music on that was 100 percent finished by 1999. wow and so there's that crazy part in the middle that you know doesn't really have a chorus it's not easy to write any kind of verse chorus structure over it so uh my friends dominique leone tried singing on it kevin blechtum tried singing on it uh dina emerson tried singing on it um and uh, Sue C tried singing on it. Um, then I saw a concert where Mylingani, uh, this Ivory Coast, uh, unbelievable African high life, like she was playing a duo with uh, Lucas Leggetti uh, in Berkeley. And I knew Lucas enough to be able to ask them. Uh, we talked, we hung out a little bit afterwards and she just basically sang three live takes over the finished instrumental. Yeah. And, um, and that's it. That's the song. Um, so the song begins with uh, my friend Dominique Leone, who is an amazing pop songwriter. Uh, you know, when I talk about, uh, you know, Sue C is on there for one word. Her presence there is important. Like she's a live video artist. And I played with her when she was eight months pregnant with her first kid and eight and a half months pregnant with her second kid. And then she took about 10 years off to raise those kids. And I was basically waiting every month for her to uh, feel comfortable touring again. So even though she only sings one word on the record, she's gotta be on the record. 
And then the Mylingani thing, uh, well, I, I wasn't sure what she's singing. I've asked her what her lyrics are. Uh, it's basically onomatopoeia. She knew the name of the song was Not Home and sort of launched off of that. But then all of her other lyrics are about, uh, she's addressing mothers. She keeps saying mama. And then the other like comprehensible line is watch out for the king. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, that's, that's the opening of the record. I mean, that uh, track is incredible. I, I can't, I, the, the two facts that you just spat about that track being produced in the late nineties. First of all, that's crazy because it sounds hyper modern. I mean, like, you know, our version of hypermodern is slightly warped because we love, you know, the 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 most like kind of wonky, like carnival-esque, like, you know, like 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 not taking itself seriously production. But the production on that song is intense and like super, super intricate and amazing. So like it's awesome to hear that that was maybe closer to your like quote unquote like previous era in terms of it's like it's germination and then the other factoid about her essentially like being able to coast over that production like on a whim like just like being able to three takes just right like, three three takes, it's crazy because it, well, like, yeah. it sounds so like integrated and like so like well well formed you know composed it sounds so composed and like and but like free flowing too yeah. Well, the reason why it flows is my, like, she managed to sing over the middle part, the, the rhythmless part where the rhythm just like, you know, completely, yep. she did not get lost. She found the flow. And certainly there's some editing. There is some editing, like yeah, you know, there yeah. were three clips and I definitely picked uh, and structured it out. But uh, no, she's, she's, she's that good. She's in a band uh, with Lucas called uh, Burkina Electric, and they're still playing. Like, you know, she's uh, don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, for she's sure. Great. But yeah, and those, her lyrics, that was, she recorded the lyrics in around 2004, 2005. <laughs> so it's like, wow, that's you know, it's a time capsule. That's literally 20 years ago, almost. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. Yeah. So that's someone that you were talking about is more epistolary, more like chance meeting other, other people in the inner circle that you'd like to highlight, like in this, in this, in this like crew of guests. Oh boy. You know, it's uh, I want to shout out Sandy Bushman Roman. She's in, uh, uh, well, I'll get to that track in a second. So like, you know, there's a track one, the last track that was recorded for it, is a track called We Belong Here. And that one, the music came up like maybe 2017. And then all of the, uh, the lyrics were recorded. And that, the idea of that was just, Blectum from Blectum is a 90s Bay Area group. Las Sucias is a, uh, uh, well, they're, they're sort of a noise reggaeton, uh, like uh, they are, well, Sandy and Denise. Hard to classify. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, their 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 music is unbelievable. They're sort of like the, the current Bay Area secrets are not not so secret at all. And then like my my friend Pamela Z that I've known for twenty five years and we've uh we've played together before, but I just asked her for the favor and I sent her the song and she said, Oh, this is beautiful. I'd love to sing on this. But the idea is like those five women singing together, it's sort of a uh intergenerational uh, cross 
cross section of everything amazing about Bay Area weirdness. Yeah, totally. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah. So that that's that song. Um, Sandy, the Sandy track where she sings solo, the hospital, where I was like, oh, should we make that one a single? That one just seems like it could get out there. But it's the best thing about that track is when you hear it in the context of the record and it comes as like a, uh, uh, you can't tell if it's a, a slap or a kiss, like a track four, like that's uh, Sandy played a solo set. She went to Mills in um, the late 2000s, like around 2008, that's when we knew each other. And she started a solo set. We both have a real love of Robert Ashley's uh, mid eighties to 1990s operas where yeah. very strange stories are told in uh, what seems like a free flowing, but very composed way. And she started a concert just by like looking dazed as if she was in pain. And then two minutes went by. And the first thing she said was, I have to go to the hospital. And the entire audience was, she was in flow enough to make everybody wonder. And then she repeated it. She said, I have to go to the hospital. And then she said, okay, I'm in the hospital now. And then she told the story of being in the hospital. And everyone understood at that point that it wasn't like a, a real, like, you know, like cry for help. Yeah. Totally. Right. So I've always remembered that show. And uh, when it finally came time for us to make a song and we did that like uh, 2021, I said like, what's the rest of the song? And then she, um, that's a very personal song, but we, we wrote that in one night. We like, uh, based on that one concert she did in 2008. Mm -hmm. So again, 15, <laughs> 15 year arc, these things <laughs> take, these things take totally. generations. Uh, well, I will say one other thing, one other, like the last track, um, Liz Albee ended up in Germany, but she's, the Bay area has many secrets uh unbelievable like it's the exact geographical opposite of the rest of uh the civilized world like you can play the best show of your life in san francisco and you don't get invited to play sacramento so it's pretty insular like even Ch chicago has an amazing music scene because it's far enough away uh but you guys can still do east coast tours uh the bay area is pretty hermetically sealed um so um, I'll give a shout out to Kanoko Nishi Smith, uh, who plays Koto, experimental Koto on the last track. And she's one of the best musicians I've ever, ever, ever known. And uh, she's raising two kids. She never really gets out of town. Um, let's just say like, there almost are no experimental Koto players. Like it, it is such a demanding instrument to master traditionally that it doesn't leave most people any kind of headspace to uh, innovate or go left or right with it. Yeah, so, even, the, uh, even the entry point is like so complex to even like consider being able to play a basic like scale or like a, a normal like tune for sure, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she, uh, she meant, there's, I, I just don't know anybody who plays like her. She's, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a local to even know. So her presence on the album is important that way. But uh, there's also a sort of an Easter egg in that her mom is the experimental feminist poet Harumi Ito, who uh, when Kanoko was one, 
uh, Kanoko's mom published a poem called Killing Kanoko in which she vividly fantasized uh, uh, <laughs> brutally murdering her own crying daughter. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, and that was the poem, that was the poem that basically, yeah, when, when, uh, yeah, that's Kanoko playing on the track. Uh, and uh, Kanoko's mom then went on to uh, syndicate a parenting advice column for a major newspaper. <laughs> so uh, Kanoko has some very, very lived, in the age of social media, and the evaporating line between um, media and communication and therefore art and personal life. Uh, almost everything that I've learned about the, uh, the boundaries, the guidelines of what is permissible to turn into art, Konoko has some, a lifelong lived experience <laughs> with that right. in a way. Of course, yeah. yeah she, uh, she's an authority and uh, 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 I go to her for moral advice all the time. And to think that like that backstory just happens to dovetail perfectly with the idea of parenting of, of kids, of having kids or not having kids, like, like just like that, that being some kind of like, you know, like personal milestone or, or, you know, personal, I don't know how to describe it, a personal upheaval in her life, you know, like that informs her presence here, you know, like it makes sense to, to, to dovetail into additional kids, you know, like. There's a story like that. Well, you guys know that Robert Wyatt's Rock Bottom? I don't mm. know that I will know. No. Uh, oh, if you, like yeah, 70s, prog rock, 70s prog rock, you make your way to that album eventually. And, um, uh, you know, just sort sort of like Beyonce's Lemonade, like he was on a level of micro fame that everybody at a certain, it's hard to tell the story of the music of that record without the personal tragedy that uh, precipitated it. Of him so being music, paralyzed or whatever, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the first record he did after falling out of the window. That's, yeah. Uh, so it's an incredibly emotional record going in. Um, this, this record isn't like that, and there's a lot more room for personal space, but <laughs> when you look at the back cover of Robert Wyatt's rock album, rock bottom, and you see everybody who plays on it, uh, that record is, it's incredibly meaningful. Everybody who plays on that record, you really get a sense of, um, of community and family in a way that, uh, you know, it's just basically like the entire London scene got together, got together behind Robert when that, yeah. when, uh, and, uh, I can't compare. Oh God, you, I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have brought up that record. That's that because uh, no, 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 no. It, it makes total sense. I mean, because it's like you know the idea of like a community of people that care for each other that want to contribute to whatever, whatever, whatever they can their own talents to, to someone else's album or idea. You know, like it, it, it makes total sense. Of course, the circumstances are not as dire you know, <laughs> intense in your case yeah. you know but yeah, but yeah, yeah. That, i understand what you're saying yeah well there's a reason for everybody to be on this record that's uh you know it it, it uh you can't ever zoom the camera back all the way but uh if you were to start it would uh it'd be a mandelbrot yeah there are stories <laughs> for sure
Well, John, I think that we're um, we're running out of time pretty soon. One thing we wanted to talk yeah. about was um, what are your plans for this year? What's what's going on in your musical life uh, going forward after this album comes out tomorrow? Tomorrow. Uh, uh, well, I'm I'm touring more with Thurston. That project, I thought I wasn't sure I was going to be in that band once he began singing again and playing songs, because uh, my role in that band was uh, I joined when he was playing this seventy-minute-long instrumental piece, and there was a lot of free reign. But uh, as it turns out, it seems sort of seems like I really. Uh, uh, the rules once again are are um, are interesting. There are ways to make it. I'm learning more than I could possibly even summarize just yet. Trying to figure out how to um, fit the electronics in in ways that make sense. But uh, secret there, it's all feedback. You just concentrate on feedback. Like instead of um, you know, don't, I don't need to sound like uh, IDM with Thurston. That would be very bad. But I can sound like David Tudor, and that makes sense. That makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. And I love everybody in that van. Everybody is uh, the main thing is that um, God, what a van full of music geeks! Like uh, just good, good people. Um, Wait, really there's quick, a record I'm working. On. Can you oh, break yeah? down your, your your mention of feedback, like in terms of how you use? Like I know we're running out of time, so to speak, but like. I'm just curious how how that comes into play in terms of like this ensemble. Like you're 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 taking live recordings of what's happening and then manipulating them, or like like the feedback no, is mixer, like mixer feedback, like yeah, mixer feedback. Uh, it, it's there are several kinds of like there's direct electrical feedback like Lewis and BB Barrett Tudor. But there's also just processing feedback. So I take a send for Thurston's amp, and I usually take a send from the kick drum or uh, snare drum, or both. And uh, so whatever you do, basically just like you know, locked into the rhythm. Alex Ward played on the last tour, and he played clarinet. So I did pitch tracking on the clarinet. Um, data that's data feedback, but it still still counts. Uh, and then you just turn the microphone had microphones on and if you're if you are 10 feet from Booge's uh her amp her bass amp and you turn on the microphone and you uh yeah <laughs> that and you put that through the pa sounds pretty good sounds, yeah sounds for good. sure oh yeah wait so um, what else were you saying about about upcoming music stuff i'm sorry i didn't mean to derail oh yeah yeah uh I've been, uh, there's uh, the Irish composer, improviser, Jennifer Walsh. We've been obsessing for a long time. She's been working with uh, the subject of uh, machine learning in music for 10 years. And now that it is basically broken out into mainstream, uh, well, now it's almost like our project is just damage control. And we're just talking about what it's done to our emotional world now that we are um, living with corporations trying to sell us the concept of AI mm -hmm. and uh, how doomy it is, how doomy it all is. That actually works on the additional kids thing too. Uh, there's a lot of uh, talk about how to keep our children safe and the fact that they are now using that kind of fear to sell the product. 
<laughs> oh, please regulate us. Oh, we don't even think you can handle this. This AI might be, uh, I don't know, might might be too fast for you, bro. You, uh, you, <laughs> yeah. out, you know. Uh, Are you working in neural networks? I, I have that Jennifer Walsh, like medieval neural network tape maybe yeah 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 that was done with data bots that was done that, with that's my only familiarity with this composer is that tape but it's crazy it's crazy there's a piece with that she did with memo ike uh ike to called uh ultra chunk and uh she basically captured herself improvising into her mat laptop camera for uh you know a couple of minutes a day and that was the data set and it runs in real time so she can improvise with um herself as a training kit and it listens just enough that uh, the whole point of machine listening with monitress is that uh it needs to be fast enough the latency needs to be low enough that the sounds it's making it's making fast enough so that you can react to it so that you're still in the loop right and that's what we obsess about uh so we're working on that record and we we uh we played some shows at transmedial in february that went really well and we're we're hoping we got to get the the album because yeah 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 it's that that is an amazing project and there's also um the tenor sax player zoe amba she's like this 22 year old from tennessee who grew up listening to albert eiler youtubes and she has already clocked her 10,000 hours of practice. And it's, it's, it's a little weird how good she is, uh, but she's, she really is that good. And so I, we do, uh, I do monitress processing on her. Sweet. And uh, yeah, that is, we, we did a tour. Uh, so we're playing in New York uh, on the 20th at Downtown Music Gallery. So that'll be, uh, that'll be fun. That'll be an East Coast thing. Sweet. Amazing. She's, she's, She's awesome. Uh, and, uh, Parker, where is she from? Or is she from the, from the West she's Coast? From, she's from Tennessee, but she, uh, she's been spending a lot of time in New York. Gotcha. Um, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, she's that good. Some people are, uh, she, uh, you know, are shocked at, like, how little dues she apparently had to play before, like, getting all of these sweet gigs. But uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not confusing once you hear her play. She's, uh, yeah, she's, she's that good. For sure. Um, and there's, uh, there's that record with, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Leonard that just came out. So we're, we actually got a, we, we're hoping to play more. That's all field recordings and the history of, uh, field recording collage. Um, one of the records, solo records I got to finish at one point is this piece called More Animals um that sort of blurs the line between um feedback and electronic music that sort of naturally sounds like animal voices and mm -hmm. actual animal voices that sound so much like electronic music that you can't believe it i love that yeah um cheryl designs um instruments out of things that she finds in wilderness parks and turns them into electroacoustic instruments and we we play them and it's um uh, yeah yeah so we got to do some gigs that sounds um, awesome yeah that sounds incredible i'm i'm fully into that mm -hmm. yeah. sounds like there's multiple oh. parts that record just came out on gilgongo uh a couple weeks ago uh but it's it's uh oh yeah too much too much they're all connected like these to you tell the story it's not even like any one record uh this the 
the actual music is sort of like you know the path drawn between all of these records um, yep. yeah <laughs> or something <laughs> or something well hey I think, I think that's a perfect conclusion um thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us um we're so excited for this record to come out i think this video will be coming out the week after the record so people are gonna be like oh I've, uh, this is funny like the talk is out of time but um I wouldn't have wanted to talk about this with uh, anybody else, really. This is, um, uh, I mean, I will say this, uh, like autobiography and self-consciousness, uh, this is a pretty painful record. Uh, and the way to deal with, uh, with it was by making the music as uh, uh, goony and sort of happy and uh, uh, what was what Zany, was the- yeah. Zany. Yeah, yeah, you put it on and you're like, what a zany record. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, this country is eating itself alive. And what's really horrifying about the recent ideological political debates is the way that natalism, anti-natalism and pronatalism is like become an actual political dividing point. Yeah, and, 100%. Uh, you know, yeah, watching Elon Musk just sort of make his comments about uh, the moral prerogative to reproduce uh, there are no answers on this record as to what the right thing to do is because yeah. what you want to do is the right thing. Kids are apt. I mean, uh, if you want to have kids, my God, you know what to do. You should have those kids. <laughs> I wouldn't want it to become a Republican talking point that the right thing to do is to have kids. Um, they're amazing once they show up and all of, uh, like I said earlier, um, I might not have had them myself, but the second they're here, my friend's kids are some of them are, they are the most important uh, people in my life pretty much sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there are no answers on this record, but uh, one of the reasons it's not a pop record is because it's, uh, it's a, it's a, yeah. Yeah. The reason why I was not sure about putting this out is because it is, uh, uh, well, I'm pretty shocked. I'm pretty shocked by the way it turned out. And I don't, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty horrifying. So it's not for everybody. <laughs> and, uh, if, uh, yeah, runs, if, if you feel like you should run screaming, you might be right. But, uh, but you should also have kids if you want to. <laughs> I find that like using this sort of zany tone to talk about serious ideas is one of the like, one of the best tactics it's like you know you can kind of put people at ease slightly to be like we're in a space of play in order to like you know now address these like things that are are heavy i mean like um residents commercial album is like maybe they're zaniest and is like talking about mostly like the end of a marriage or a divorce seemingly um of course it's cryptic as always but like using those sorts of like jester-ish like carnival-ish ways of um communicating things sonically um i think opens people up to more of an an, opens people up into this imaginative space which you've done very well well the residents are a pretty important touch touch point on this record because their uh their approach to popular music that isn't going to be popular has always been 
Yeah, yeah, they they they've been important to me since high school. Yeah, they, yeah, very very close to our hearts, of course, in terms of like even when we were first starting the label, like we we were immersed in that stuff, and we still that's like one of our favorite bodies of work for sure. So, and the other the other thing that's really important about them is that uh, their stance of auto fictionalizing, where you can sort, of course, you can tell who they are, of course, you can sort of tell what the stories are. And as the years went on, it became more and more obvious what the stories were as they began uh, allowing interviews with the Cryptic Corporation, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the work of the residents. Um, there, there is an invisible line where the work, all of the things that help us separate the definition of the work from the lives uh, that make the work. Uh, media is dissolving and eating those alive, and uh, so privacy yeah. becomes ever more important. And the way the residents kind of provided an example of how you can keep those lines in place and make work without having your work eat you uh, or become enslaved to celebrity, because celebrity is counterproductive. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, they, they, uh, pretty inspiring the way the way they went like when when uh when homer began blogging <laughs> <laughs> mind-blowing mind-blowing stage in uh yeah yeah i love them very much for sure well thank you john so much um we will probably talk to you tomorrow definitely will because your album is coming out aka a week ago when this when this airs you know yeah thank you Thank you guys. It really it would not be coming out uh, if if not for you guys. Like, uh, yeah, it just it just wouldn't happen. Well, well, this is an album that we fully believe in and think is just like truly phenomenal, and it's been a thrill working with you to get it out in the world. Agree. Wow. All I, uh, courage to all thirty of you. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Take care. Bye. Much love. Love you, too. Thirty.